and welcome back to the New Blocks. It has been a long time. It has been, what, seven months, Kevin, since we last spoke here on the New Blocks. We're coming at you with a Zero X. That's where we talk about contemporary news, uh, what's been happening recently, what's going on. Uh, we're going to catch up a little bit. Kevin and I actually haven't spoken since we've both been in flux. I think we've both moved since uh, we did the last New Blocks, so certainly been busy. Um, and then we're going to Probably do like an educational episode to get back on track coming up next because we want to talk about this merge. And we are going to talk about it today a little bit. The merge is, is kind of impossible to not talk about at this point because it is looming. Never financial advice coming your way here purely for educational and entertainment purposes. But Kevin, it feels so good to be back, dude. I love podcasting. I love riffing about crypto. We do Twitter spaces sometimes. But bud, we're podcasting. Good on you. Welcome back to the show, dude. How are you? It's good to be back. Yeah, Twitter Spaces is, is really cool and nice, uh, but it is not. It doesn't have the same vibe to hanging out and just getting in a one-on-one -on -one conversation where we don't have a group of people that are uh, watching live, and we can just kind of like you know plan a little bit in advance. I'm definitely a planner, you know me. Uh, I like to I like to have a sense for where the conversation's going, uh, and then I can make sure you know not to forget any of the cool things that have happened, and a lot of cool things have happened in seven months <laughs> yes uh, uh i think right off the bat both of us moved uh i was in new jersey before i'm in san diego now um and i'm loving it out here i i had been in california before so it's not my first time but i uh i'm, I'm a fan and how about yourself yeah uh, i'm in puerto rico i moved uh, much before you i was in colorado before that so i'm living the island life we're both getting the sunshine in i don't know if you can tell oh yeah you can't see me i forgot to turn my camera on for your side but i'm tan bud i'm, I'm really tanning mm. it up the hair has been growing i think i need to get a haircut part of me has been toying with the idea of just letting it grow you know seeing what happens that's what cloud white's been telling me but um, alas, I think uh, I need to maintain a look. You know, I, I like the the short hair. Just got my pearl necklace fixed in old San Juan. I'm feeling great, buddy. It's uh, it's it's been a great decision to move out here. You know, a lot of a lot of financial folks, a lot of crypto people, a lot of really cool locals. Also, um, it's uh, it's a pretty neat place. It's America, but also kind of not America at the same time. Yeah, it it does seem neat from the tour spaces. We've talked a little bit about it, um, and you know. I I definitely there's such a life improvement that comes when you go to a warmer place. I just enjoy the ability to to walk outside and it's like pretty much always sunny here. Um, but yeah, I, I'm a huge fan. Absolutely. Um, and we've done a little bit of traveling as well. Maybe you more than me. I did a wild sprint of, I think, five and a half weeks on the road. Most traveling I'd ever done. Started actually in Colorado, closing some stuff down. Then went over to Vegas for the Axie Air event. Went to Vietnam for an all-hands company retreat for uh, Sky Mavis, actually. Uh, after that, we went to the Philippines for a week and a half, did an Axie Infinity tournament, the next Creator Cup, where we worked with all these really cool people, 16 folks in the studio, like land tournament, online qualifiers, full deal. Uh, and then it ended with NFT NYC. So came full circle back, which actually worked out pretty well because usually you get to Puerto Rico, you kind of connect through New York anyway. So I almost felt like I was just doing a long layover on my last leg and um, hit NFT NYC this year, which you were at but we didn't see each other, correct? Is, is that what happened we, we there? Tried. Yeah, we, we tried. Uh, yeah, we both had our own events that we needed to go to. So I was there for work. I went to ETH NYC, 
I I hung out around uh, the external events for NFT NYC, but was mostly there for the ETH NYC hackathon. Mm. Um, yeah, we weren't able to make it work, but I think you definitely have me beat in terms of like most consecutive weeks <laughs> spent traveling. That sounds exhausting just hearing about it. I was tired um, by the end. And NFT NYC being at the end kind of sucked because that event is very intense, very draining, a lot of different activities and moving pieces. So it would have been, I think, better if I could have started with that. Although, to be fair, starting with Vegas was also pretty fun. You know, like no matter what you're doing in Vegas, even if you're there for work, it's kind of hard to not have a little bit of fun when you're hanging out in Vegas. So uh, I made sure to check all the boxes, right? You you work, you, you play. That's how we do. Yeah. Yeah. The last and the only time I've been to Vegas was like the day before COVID uh became a thing it was a little eerie seeing videos from italy and then like the stock market crash happened the next day and i was like we should go quarantine yeah um but yeah i definitely like eth nyc was really cool um prior to that i got to go to dev connect amsterdam which is like the um there's a series of ethereum conventions called DevCons. uh dev connect is kind of an offshoot of that and it's just like Ethereum um, ecosystem hangouts uh, and had a really cool time at ETH uh, CC in Paris was like my most recent trip that I went on mm-hmm. uh, that I was there for work. We did like a consensus connect event. Um, I got to give a talk at that. Um, it was cool. It was like about I, I feel like you give way more talks and like public speaking <laughs> things than I do. So it's less of a of a to do. But for me, I, I've only really given a few kind of public speaking things. Um, so I talked a little bit about like, did you feel practice? Did you length. brag about all your experience podcasting now is this uh, microphone extraordinaire? Well, I shield the podcast at the end. And it, wow. the fact that we hadn't wow. done like at that point, six months of episodes, I was like <laughs> wondering if I should even shill it. But I'm glad I did. And I'm glad uh, that you and I are back in the studio. And we're going to keep Keep yeah. throwing episodes out there. It, it'll be a lot easier now that we're we're both settled. Um, you know, I got to get my my time in in Puerto Rico. I'll be traveling again now for Barcelona for AxiCon. Uh, I'll be there for a week, and then after that, I'm actually headed directly to the Philippines again. Um, actually, dude, I don't want to make this a podcast about the Philippines, but brah, the Philippines is an insanely awesome place. And I'll tell you what, visiting there really gave me some lens into why they are 40 to 50% of the Axie player base. You know, that is a really key part of the Axie story. And yes, it has brought in a lot of new people into Web3 and the ecosystem, but it is just objectively, without a shadow of a doubt, disproportionately Filipino-based. And when you ask people, why is that? They often say, oh, you know, Filipinos, uh, they, they like games. You know, it's, uh, they like social media. And that, that is true. It's like, how come there's other places where they like games and like social media and have a lot of phones where they, they don't play? You know, sometimes it's about like mobile phone penetration. I think Pakistan has 175 mobile phones. It's like, well, why not Pakistan then? Oh, well, maybe it's cultural. Like, okay, now maybe we're on to something. And then the Philippines, man, they are fucking hustlers. There is this whole culture of these sorry, sorry stores where all over the country, folks that are are living like kind of below the poverty line, I guess you could say, they take their, their house that they live in and set up their front to just be a, a storefront. And they buy stuff in bulk at like their equivalent of Costco or wherever else, or even just the local 
local market and then market up a little bit like convenience store style and just sell whatever. And there's like a huge economy for this where there's a little small markup along the way, but they kind of pay for convenience and it keeps a lot of people afloat. So there's this huge kind of entrepreneurial mentality of um, that I, there's a saying that I forget what it is in Tagalog, but it basically translates to if there's a way to find money in this system, the Filipinos are going to find it. Like they're very crafty and very good at min-maxing systems. So it's the combination of they are very plugged in socially with like Facebook and social media. So information can spread very quickly. They have a shitload of mobile phones. They have a lot of internet connectivity um, and they're very adept to learning. So if you say, hey, play this game, you can make money. All you have to do is read this thing, install this app and go through these pain points. All things considered, that's actually pretty easy compared to a lot of the physical pain points in real life of trying to hustle, you know, small amounts of money in terms of the global purchase parity. So seeing that culture firsthand, experiencing these people and learning a lot more about how they live and, and how they're, they're able to apply these economic principles in their day-to-day -day life, like, okay, the Philippines are so perfect for Web3 gaming. Like, they are sort of step ahead, I think, as a gaming culture to really understand how to min-max economies almost at, like, a subconscious intrinsic level. You know, it's just very natural to them. They're very good at these economy kind of style games. Uh, it's just really fascinating. So, sorry, that was, that was a long diatribe. But, dude, bullish as hell on the Philippines. So much so that I booked another trip to go back and um, have... That's I'm going to awesome. film, film a bunch of content. I'm working with a studio there. We're going to green light a bunch of Axie tournaments, um, interviewing some people, and also going to do a holiday, dude. Some of the most beautiful beaches in the world. That's so cool. Yeah, I remember seeing that uh, short like YouTube documentary, uh, Play to Earn, where I think it was probably one of those stores that you described where it was a shopkeeper that would play Axie while they were hanging yeah. out in their store. Um, that's super cool. Is there an event that you're going to, or are you just, you're kind of creating um, for this specific content? trip? We're kind of, it, it's in the wake of AxiCon. So when I booked it, I kind of thought, Hey, you know, maybe we'll be able to do a whole press tour and like make a bunch of news. And if I can spend every day, like doing interviews and hyping up Axie and, you know, obviously at AxiCon, we're going to have some announcements and roadmap stuff and like founder keynotes. So, mm -hmm. um, if I end up a being able to book a lot of stuff, uh, we are going to do a meetup, then it'll be a work trip. And if it ends up being like, hey, that was really cool. The news cycle is kind of come and gone. You know, this is more of a holiday. Then we're just going to turn it into a holiday. Uh, we have a lot of friends there and it'll be a little bit of a workcation. And, uh, you know, we'll do some strategic meetings. I think we are going to have some sort of Axie meetup, though, uh, in the Philippines. At least cool. that's the plan. Um, if we can't pull up something official together, then... We'll do a smaller Zayori meetup and see what happens. You know, we, we got layers of backup plans here, bro. Yeah, we'll, uh, yeah. we'll see what's good. I'm confident that you're going to have a great time regardless. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I mean, I, I've definitely done more conferences in the last year than I've done in my career. Um, but it's like, a, it's a lot different when, I guess we, you and I have been to a few video game conferences yeah. and you're a lot more in esports. Um, like, whereas my previous to crypto job as a software engineer, um, when I would go to conferences, it was kind of just for fun doing like, because I like to game. Um, I, I, like, has this, is this, normally how crazy and hectic your life is or <laughs> yes is this yes and no it, it's like a blessing and a curse right i go through these phases where i have a really fast moving brain and when i'm finally able to slow down and enjoy it within like two weeks of being quote on vacation 
I'm immediately thinking of what do I want to do? And I have a long list of projects I'd love to work on. I got books I want to write. I've got ideas for fiction, short stories. There's just not enough hours in the day, you know? Um, I, I would love to even like bring crypto geodes back to life, right? Like that's an idea for a little side project. I, I have all these ideas for like YouTube series and you know different podcasts and stuff. So um, it is definitely a temptation. Uh, the comic book is almost done, by the way. We're like on the final version of the the coloring and editing. Super exciting! It the story has come nice. together so well. The story was a little shaky in the second draft, and um, I had a moment of res- of revelation. Great light bulb, and uh, dude, this comic book is going to be fucking fire. And my plan to evolve it, bro. Get your NFTs ready. I'm I'm trying to do some cross collabs, so I, I hope you're excited to get your uh, your NFTs entering into uh, my comic. I don't want to reveal the title yet because I'm still workshopping. Yeah, it. I'm going to yeah. tell you afterwards because I got to get your feedback. Remind me to tell you the title oh. of the comic after the podcast. Um, yeah, absolutely. So that yes, awesome. kind of. But traveling, no. Five five and a half weeks on the road. That's that's insane, dude. That's by far the longest I've ever done, and it was too much. By the end, I really was yeah. excited to be back. Um, so yeah. I'm trying to be better about being more balanced, be more firm about saying no. I'm really trying to force myself to be unapologetic. Of okay, it's five o'clock. I'm doing nothing but eating, relaxing playing video games, watching TV, and just spending time with my friends. And having more community here in Puerto Rico and living close to the beach has really helped. Like swimming in the ocean yeah. six days a week, even not even just floating around, just flopping in the waves, makes you feel small. Mm-hmm. It's nice. You come back, you shower, you relax, get a little sun, helps you sleep better. I'm, I'm slowly getting into yeah. a routine. So I'm, I'm working on it, man. My goal is to be zen and not frazzled. I want to be chill, Zayori. You know, I don't want to be this like, hey, like yelling at you, Zayori. And he, he still pops out from time to time, Kevin. I, you know, after all these years, I, I wrote a book about this fucking shit. And here we are, just, you know, people that read my book that are like, wow, you overcame all that shit. I'm so proud of you. And they're looking at me like, wow, you're doing that shit you wrote about in your book. Look at that. That's pretty funny. <laughs> I, that's funny. And I'm sitting there like, yeah, that's funny, mate. <laughs> I just watched a short YouTube video earlier today about how even, I think it was like, less than an hour spent in nature uh, will produce a certain set of hormones that are equivalent to a lot of like anti-anxiety medication. So mm. your one hour hanging out in the beach is probably actually doing some real like science agrees. level changes. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, aside from all of the crazy uh traveling that's occurred i think crypto has just evolved so much in the last seven months um i i when i look at the bear market that has arrived i think back to um where we left off in the series i think the last episode was staking Mm. um and like i think we were still kind of in a bull run at that point and i remember like we continued the conversation over twitter spaces but for the podcast only listeners um, it might be worth taking a second and just recapping all of the things that have happened uh, in the last seven months. <laughs> so where did we where did we leave off and and what has happened? Yeah, so I was I was just laughing because I wanted market. to quickly pull up um, the Ethereum chart just to to have a look see uh, for like frame of where reference because we you kind of mentioned January was a weird month. It, it started um, a little bumpy from like the. Let's see here. Uh, the first to the ninth. Ooh, we lost some pace. You know, we were sitting around that like 3,000, 3,300. 
And then uh, we we fell off around the 20th and went way down to 2,400, kind of went back up to 3K and kind of teetered back and forth till February. So it wasn't bad yet, but the signs were starting to show, like looking at this chart, honestly, there's a little gut check TA there. It's like, "Mm, yeah, these lines don't look super healthy. Um, So there, there was some writing on the wall, but I think two major events that really nobody could have effectively predicted or priced in in terms of damage to the global economy. Uh, the war uh, with Russia, that was a really big deal. You know, now that was kind of a long time ago, but serious economic damage, gas prices, all this stuff, huge fallout from just regular stock market economy related things to crypto. Um, and then in the midst of that turbulence, oh shit, Luna goes bust. And I think there were a lot of speculators that thought Luna's unsustainable. They're paying way too much in terms of return on these stable coins. This is looking sketchy, but there is so much money behind it. There, there were actually a lot of people that had this too big to fail sort of um, energy behind it. And I think part of what made Luna so powerful is that it was plugged into a huge network in Korea where there were a lot of services that were kind of using it in, in back-end ways where there are a lot of people kind of using it and didn't almost didn't realize it. So they had this weird, stealthy kind of market penetration uh, that was that was really strange. So, so it, Luna just had a lot of very unique factors going for it at the scale that it was at, and it going bust that quickly was kind of ridiculous. You know, as two people here that lived through Titan, one that we watched Death Spiral over the course of 12 hours or so, um, we watched it happen again with Luna. And ironically, I exited on Titan... And I rode Luna to zero. And also, how fucking sad is it, Kevin, that I had both of these two fucking shit coins that death spiraled and went to zero that were... Man, I got to stop messing around with stable coins, man. I think that's the... <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the there's that's one thing that I think that uh, everything that's happened in the last few months has led to a lot of conversations with people outside of crypto that hear about stable coins for the first time when they are unstable, right? Yeah. Or that um that will hear about DeFi and confuse it with like the price of bitcoin and and say <laughs> that at least my d my cfi account didn't drop 20 percent this year and there, there's it's it can feel um like an opportunity to educate those that are asking these questions but i think what i saw a lot in uh the last year or so um, with the volatility of crypto is just a lot more crypto hate than I would have expected. I mean, we, we talked about this as the series was progressing, like people sort of seeing Web3 and not really understanding it, seeing DeFi, not understanding it, seeing NFTs and and thinking it was burning the rainforest down. Um, but like the the sort of politicization that occurred, uh, I I didn't expect it to become so like American left, right, um, mm-hmm. politicized as it did. I, I don't know. What was your experience of the sort of like the split that occurred over the, uh, especially in the bear market portion of, of this market cycle? Do you mean with Luna, the split? Or? Uh, no, no, sorry. I mean, like the the sort of like, politicizing effects of crypto where suddenly if you're in crypto it's because you're a libertarian even though ah, that's right really just like a bitcoin yeah thing. I, I i guess i feel a little numb to that I, i'm probably in a more 
unique mind space with some of that stuff because you know the way that I look and the way that I am, I am like I have a very very strong muscle of just when I want to putting on blinders and just walking around and being like. If I see somebody yeah. laughing, I assume they're laughing at that funny joke their friend told them. You know, I, it just, I just kind of block it out. So I'm, I'm at the point now where I feel so all in in crypto. I think about my net worth and how many Ethereum's I have. So, you know, man, that's cool. If it's not for you, that's fine. You know, I personally feel like this is the future, and I'm betting on Ethereum right now. Long term, it could evolve into something else. I, I, you know, I'm an EVM bull. That's that's kind of where I'm at. That's where I'm I'm placing my bets. They might be right. It might all go to zero, and I'll have to start over in five years. But hey, you know what? I've reinvented myself before, and that's okay. And I think the expected value is more positive than that. And if all the things that I'm assessing for this thesis are correct, then yeah, I I feel pretty good. So I don't really give a fuck if other people believe in it or not, because I think this technology has such high potential and such wide breadth over a long enough time horizon that people are going to be using it and not even realizing it. Um, and yeah. that's, that's okay. And that's totally cool. And I'm, I'm realizing that a lot of products work that way. A lot of product cycles are slow because consumers are kind of slow. You look at that, that product cycle, it's a classic bell curve, bunch of laggards. There's a bunch of people that are always waiting for the sure thing and that's what they want. And some of them, kind of willfully buy into the marketing illusion of it being a sure thing, knowing that I don't really know if it's a sure thing, but hey, you know what? That guy looked me in the eye and said, this is a sure thing. So that's good enough for me. And if it isn't, then I can blame that guy. And th there's a peace of mind there. Um, but that's, that's like a, so almost like a centralized kind of mentality. So I, I, I don't know. Did, did that sound I like egotistical? That I, I hope not. No, no, I that's like right. I, I mean, I, th out, I think you and I balance each other out well. Um, like we have different risk tolerances. We have different ways that we approach um, like FUD and people outside the space. I, I wish I had your um, ability to kind of like <laughs> skirt off the haters. I, I definitely get wrapped up, um, usually coming from a perspective of just like, I understand that you have this perspective. Um, I would love to help educate and give you this like additional perspective to maybe help uh, kind of like counterbalance what you're saying here, but it's usually falls on deaf ears. I think one of the, um, I've, I've recently, I think I'm almost, I'm on like the last chapter of this book, um, Devil Take the Hindmost. I don't know if you and I have talked about it. I don't think um, so. It's, a, it's about the speculative bubbles throughout history. So it talks a little bit about, uh, it was, it was put out in like 1999. So this was like pre 2008 financial crisis, but it was, it's a really well-researched book. Um, and it's given me a lot of perspective of how crypto is a sort of continuation of the same story that we've seen throughout history. Yeah. Um, it's this uh, like past bubbles Ha have a lot of the same ingredients in them. Things like um, the railroad bubble when when railroads were getting started, uh, a similar like ICO mania occurred where a bunch of like fake railroad companies spun up. And um, uh, th there's always like this difference between um, the reality of what the innovation might do um, and like the expectation that the average uh, investor might have. Uh, and when this mismatch occurs, the uh, the expectations get all riled up uh, and people get excited. Like they foresee some change that might be occurring. 
Uh, and then the, the, the fact of the matter is that like innovation actually just takes time and um, this stuff doesn't happen overnight. And so in the meantime, a, like a bunch of scams and a bunch of uh, like money grabbing mm -hmm. um, con artists join in. And I see a lot of that happening in crypto. And I think this is where a lot of people that are seeing this from the outside that are seeing like yet another crypto bear market like this. This has to be the last one. This one's really going to put the nail in the coffin. I think it's a, a lot of the the perspective of like people that aren't necessarily paying attention to to the history of how innovation occurs. Yeah, I was in a Twitter space today talking about esports and like adoption for Web three relative to gamers. Um, and one of the talking points that I really wanted to hammer home: there's a difference between the theoretical potential and the realistic potential that will be realized relative to marketing and, and reach and what resonates with the users, right? The best product doesn't always win. The, the one with the best marketing and the most connection and sometimes the best influencer, like <laughs> Fire Festival was able to do what it did because of really weird social hacking, right? If you apply that to a slightly less egregious system, you can sort of start to, to see what I'm talking about a little bit, right? And crypto has so many builders in it. I think we get caught up in these really complex, this system solves all esports. Everybody can trade value and it's all captured. It's like, that's really cool, man. But it's just like that show Silicon Valley where they make the app of the future, but the UX is awful and nobody knows how to use it or wants to learn how to use it because it's not cool, it's not sexy, and it's really just a back-end upgrade. It's not something users care about. It's almost confusing to users, you know? Hey, zero space yeah. on my phone, whoa. Um, so anyway, it, it's, uh, it is tricky. And to me, the, the answer is really just patience. Some of that is it still needs to be built out. We're hiring a lot more UX people, Kevin. It's, it's, it's getting better. It's slowly getting better. Um, at least individually, project to project. One other thing I wanted to mention as we were talking about this stuff, though, like bear market conditions. We talked about the war. Uh, we talked about Luna. Um, inflation, as predicted, was kind of as bad or, I guess, worse than some people thought, right? Um, and, and I, I got to bring this back because you and I have talked about meme coins so many times. All of a sudden, that 10% per year inflation on Dogecoin doesn't sound so fucking bad, eh, Kev? Huh? We're talking sound money right here, Biggs. All right? I <laughs> we're, talking, we're talking hard I doggy cash. So, I like... I'm <laughs> not willing to concede on the dog <laughs> meme. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just one I'm dog sure, meme. It, sure it is the, people, the ultimate meme. Like, yeah, there because, is only one. Listen, listen. To the right audience, there is, there's more faith in the power of Doge as a meme than the people backing the U.S. dollar, okay? It's all faith-based. We're, we're all accepting faith to participate in these fiat systems. So yeah. I'm actually becoming more bullish on this weird Doge thesis of like, okay, this stupid meme coin that accidentally stumbled onto this it's merged mine now with Litecoin, so it actually is tied to a relatively secured network. It is fundamentally flawed as a forever proof of work thing, but if we can kind of block that out for a second, that just straight up 10% inflation forever is is kind of interesting. It sucks that it's all centralized and like, you know, 100 accounts own some egregious amount of it, like, you know, 80% or something. I'm just kind of making up numbers, but I know it's absurd. Um, I don't know. It just makes me wonder, like... I love that as a comparison to put inflation in context. So I think for you know regular folks, you hear an inflation number, you go, all right, inflation was 7% last month. Okay, that's high, but it doesn't really like, what does that actually mean? Um, and I yeah. think like crypto analogies help, help give us a little bit of context to try to think about what that 
can start to mean a little bit. At least it it helps me start to see it in a different perspective. Yeah, I mean, I think what's uh, always so challenging to wrap your head around in this space, it go, going back to your example from uh, Silicon Valley, even this sort of imaginary solution that solves everything that doesn't get adopted because people just don't feel like learning about it. Um, that that's that sort of concept can occur at so many layers in crypto where even if you've figured out this like perfect inflation model for your token, uh, if a huge vast majority of the tokens, I, I don't even know what it is for Dogecoin. I'm just speaking theoretically. Um, if like the token distribution isn't great or if the decentralization at the node level isn't great, uh, there are all these different factors that contribute to the health of an ecosystem. And at the end of the day, all of these different cryptocurrencies uh, and Web3 projects are a way for us to quantify vibes, in my opinion. I think um, the at the base layer, at like we talk about layer one as the blockchain level, layer two is this network that sits on top of the blockchain. Layer zero is the, the people that are using this technology that have values and uh, are trying to make other people aware of those values. And if if that you've got a perfect layer one with a, an amazing layer two built on it, but the layer zero of your particular chain doesn't have a, a, a healthy mix of perspectives, um, there's yeah. just like a million ways for- It's gotta balance all of it. You, you can't just be like, hey, God, it, it's, it's sort of like having a partial straight in poker. You're like, well, dude, I had four of them. Come on, can I get partial credit? Like. <laughs> Sorry, we're not in high school anymore. So ju just to go full circle on this, I'm looking this up here on um, the, the distribution of, of Doge. It looks like um, 80, 82% of the total coins are owned by less than 1,000 wallets. <laughs> <laughs> I hope yeah. I'm not misreading this. Not, I kind of want to link it to you so you can uh, confirm it for me. But... That's like even more egregious than I thought, and actually pretty hysterical. <laughs> I knew it was. Yeah, bad, that's where. But, uh, that's wow. where uh, the the challenge of the space is like figuring out all of the different. It, it's like trying to hold a uh, a bunch of different liquids and of different uh, mass and like trying to capture all of them in such a way that they all play together nicely and work out well. It's like in your example of a of a straight minus one card, I feel like the the crypto ecosystem um that will succeed longer term will be the one that figures out the royal flush of getting values at layer zero that are spread out enough and decentralized enough. Um, and like the, the token distribution makes sense that enough other people are like willing to accept it. I don't know. I, I digress a bit, but, um, I'm still, I'm on the, like the a, a Dogecoin that. rabbit hole right now where I'm trying to think about like, okay, so it's so commercially popular of those people that are like buying Dogecoin on Robinhood or whatever, you know? Uh, that doesn't actually change the price movement because they're just buying these like centralized credits or whatever with Robinhood that has a pretty small backing. But 
a very small it... amount of Doge coins are actually being traded amongst a very high number of users. Like it's something only like five five percent or something of all the Doge coins are actually moving in circulation across like these wallets. It's obscenely centralized. Actually, that is yeah. uh, almost comical. There, there's this one set of graphs. Uh, while while we change the topic, yeah, I'll sorry. try to find it. But <laughs> I, um, there's this one set of graphs that really shows kind of what I'm trying to describe here. Um, I think this the CELO network, C E L O, uh, or even like uh, some of these other um, like side chainy EVM guy. things. Um, the, the breakdown that a lot of these blockchains had with their initial distributions, um, you could have the, the perfect idea for your blockchain and you can actually have a, a, an ecosystem that's starting to evolve. But if 99% of the tokens in that ecosystem just happen to be owned by the VCs that spun up the chain, the values of those VCs, which oftentimes end up being more extractive, um, th those are the things that end up kind of lasting right. longer term. Um, and it's yeah, hard, it's hard know. to see the degree difference of like the, the almost yeah. order of magnitude, how much more the the whales have. Um, but yeah, in, in other news, like really high level stuff worth mentioning, um, the Axie bridge hack happened. It's insane to me. I know we have talked, um, at least yeah. once or twice about this one, you know, obviously off air, but um, now something that is very much over with that the money has been guaranteed. Um, Sky Mavis was able to raise like a hundred, was it 150 million in, in like a, a funding round in, oh gosh, was it eight days after the hack? It, I think those numbers are right. Well, I, see, it's been so long now was that it, I've forgotten the it, exact numbers. Um, was it Binance or was it other? Binance led the round. So it was, okay. you know it's like a, a lot of people get in on the funding round, but um, yeah. usually whoever's leading it is the person that makes like the primary contribution or whatever. Um, okay. So they were obviously a big part of it, having your name in it like that. Um, but yeah, a, a wild experience to, to, to go through from like a personal lens. When it happened, I was in LA with Jiho, the co-founders, and we had a meetup planned that day. It was at NFT LA. So like this is in the thick of it, bro. I wasn't like just at home reading messages. I was on the front lines, and it was, um, it was a wild day. I I basically like got woken up, and um, Jiho was clearly uh, un unwell. And um, as it became clear what was happening, you know, we had to make the decision: do we do the meetup? Do we, you know? cancel the meetup what's what's worse like are people gonna be okay should should we meet up is that appropriate in this in this context and obviously we decided to go forward with it it felt like um a signal of strength to you know show solidarity and show up but it was it was a little scary you know really not sure like really prepared for people to be super angry and kind of yell at us and uh, it was the opposite all of our our fans that were there at the meetup kind of looked at us like are you guys okay you guys look a little rattled like are are you all right you know we're we're not going anywhere not, we only need the bridge to cash out man like we're, we're cool we didn't want to sell anyway so like you get we'll give you some time you know like, are you guys all right like i think people were almost like are is anybody leaving you know anybody gonna quit like is this the end like is are, if it's all going to zero we don't need to worry about selling you know and it's that weird game theory where you can tell everyone's thinking like, well, if this is all going to zero, that sucks. But also, 
if it's all going to zero, then I don't have to worry about selling it. I guess I'll just keep whatever. They're just collector's items now, which is what gives them value. <laughs> so that would make it not go to zero because people still value them as collector items. So it, it speaks to the resiliency of Axie um, because I think a lot of people truly thought, okay, this is it. This is the death blow. 600 million for you know, all the little stumbles, whatever, the bad moves. They haven't been shipping product. They haven't been building stuff on their roadmap. Delay after delay. Now we got this $600 million bridge hack. It's over. Um, and it really ended up being a, you know, a crisis is a sad thing to waste kind of a moment where you know, we were able to, to raise around. Uh, obviously, the blockchain uh, is, is a lot of things have been changed and updated, and now our security is much more scrutinized. So I can certainly say things are much more, you know, like audited and secured and monitored um, now. Like there, there's a, a, a whole new uh, level of diligence now that uh, I think one thing that everyone agrees, like, okay, we barely survived the first one. Another one? It's actually over. <laughs> yeah, that's like, um, so th it's just, yeah, there, there's no margin for error anymore is sort of what I'm, I'm jokingly trying to say. So yeah. a, a really, really wild experience though, man. It, it's hard to contextualize in, in just a couple of words here, but um, it was pretty cool. Like nobody left the company. So that speaks to, I, I guess, the amount of dedication people had and also just sort of the way it was handled. But there were a couple moments where, you know, right when it's happening and I, I, I can see all of the founders are on calls with security people or the, the FBI or with, you know, investors or like there were some serious high level decisions and conversations that had to be had. So there was a moment when um, a, like, you know, we have internal communication channels and there's like shared chat channels like, you know, on Discord and stuff, you know, you can just kind of hop in and, and do a pop-up meeting. So I hopped into one and then someone else joined and then the snowball effect, everyone's online and they see people are in there. And before you know it, there's all these people in the channel. And I realized, holy shit, I'm like kind of the most senior person in this room right now because all the real senior people are seriously on the front lines that was a surreal experience just being like all right um i guess i'm in charge for the next 10 minutes okay everybody do your shit that was actually what i said that i mean i i feel like that's like a, a fair thing to say like my my advice was like everybody just get your stuff like the worst thing we can do right now is drop the ball on stuff that we're all responsible for so like the best thing we can do is just do as much as we can do a little extra and try to take as much off the plate of anyone who's above you as you can because assume that they're dealing with all sorts of stuff that's coming in. That was the best I got, you know? And I, I feel like that's that wild. all things equal, pretty sound advice, you know, hard to go wrong with like, just do the shit that you're supposed to do. It's pretty generic, but yeah. It's like your, uh, what, what movie was that? Braveheart yeah. moment <laughs> yeah. on the front line. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really a surreal experience. That sounds, like a, that um, sounds like a wild situation. I I thought it was, uh, it was neat getting your perspective as it was happening because you know every single week so much happens in crypto that there's constantly mm -hmm. news but like this was clearly a big deal at the time and having someone who I'm friends with that works at the company uh having that perspective was pretty neat yeah i mean i think i th that is probably i don't know if there are bigger hacks in crypto uh i mean there probably I were i don't know actually it's maybe a, not i don't think so not that i know of i think mount gox was still small it's it's a big number dude 600 yeah. million is a huge number 
Um, and like it, it leads to the events that happened more recently that we're still kind of in the middle of now. So like it was found that the, and you probably can better explain this than I can, but like my understanding is that the Lazarus group in yeah. North Korea, this is North Korean hacker group. Yeah. Well, I th so I think on a high level, like North Korea has identified that hacking in the modern age is, is certainly one of the most efficient ways to like displace aspects of global wealth and power. Um, so. I saw a statistic, I, this could be totally off, but this is what I saw earlier, that 10% of North Korea's GDP comes from hacking. I, that, I mean, who knows if that's true, but that figure would not surprise me because I, yeah. I think they are known as one of the most sophisticated hacker groups in the world. Now, anytime I hear somebody say that, I always wonder, aren't the most sophisticated hacker groups in the world the ones that you don't know about because they're that sophisticated that they actually understand how to be fucking anonymous? Uh, I digress, though. Maybe that's a little little too meta for the level that we're talking about here. But right. in terms but of publicly known hacker groups, um, yeah, I think the Lazarus group is is pretty uh, pretty high up there. And it was surreal also when that news came out. Like, wow, that is yeah. um, it, it. Like we used to say, Lunasia is a country. You know, like we're a digital nation. We we say like mm -hmm. the that's the the tagline for Axicon. A nation gathers. It's love it, but like, it that's crazy that another country kind of like a, attacked our bridge. Like when you think about the the nomenclature of what we call all these things, like the bridge to our land was attacked by North Korea. <laughs> the, like that's dude, that's insane. Yeah. That that's like I know it's like you know kind of a it's you know it's a digital bridge. It's not one to one, but yeah, but surreal to process that. Um, so and so uh, like basically they they hacked the Ronin bridge, took it back on the Ethereum side and ran it through a privacy tool called Tornado Cash. And so mm -hmm. Tornado Cash. Well, they ran some um, of it. I don't think they ran that okay. much, but they did run some small amounts. And that was I actually I think a part of what got it flagged, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And so months later, um, the Treasury Department in the U.S., decided to add the Tornado Cash Ethereum addresses to the OFAC sanctions list. Now, the OFAC sanctions list is a list of persons uh, that you as a U.S. citizen cannot do business with. So this is the first time that a computer program has ever been added to the OFAC sanctions list. Uh, and so we're kind of in the middle of a big uh, legal fight right now. It'll probably last a few years if if history is to be any indicator um, about sort of like the future of Tornado Cash and the ability for sanctioning a computer program. And there's a lot of um, open source uh, like code advocates. The Electronic Frontier Foundation is a big um, like code, uh, yeah. yeah, like web advocate advocacy group. Um, and they've come out in favor of Tornado Cash and said that, you know, we already have a lot of um, a lot of historical precedents to say that code is free speech and mm -hmm. that you can't make certain words illegal. When I mean, it comes to code. So dude, the, anyway, the way you just described that, I, I kind of chuckled because I had almost like a, a small revelation like A.I., is becoming a simulacra like it doesn't matter if the singularity ever happens and it's quote real ai however you define that 
Like we're now assigning the properties of AI being real to smart contracts. Just like, hey, put it on the watch list. All right, well, that thing isn't a person. It's just some computer code. I don't give a fuck. Watch it. It's like, yeah, but it's not alive. It's just a thing that it, it's just an automated contract. It, it's a function. It's not, it, yeah. it, it's, it's a rock, it's dude. It, it, you, you, put, you poke it and then something comes out the other side. You can't really do it. What you're saying makes, you just told me to download a hoagie from the internet, man. It doesn't fucking compute. And that's just so comical that we're like, we're, we're so afraid of AI. We're like trying to like treat things like they're AI, but they aren't. You know what I mean? Like that's just, that's yeah. very comical to me. That is so fucking human. I almost can't handle it. Yeah, this is a good example of the existing regulatory bodies not really understanding how change is occurring and not definitely not embracing it. Um, yeah. But even more so um, kind of like tripping over themselves to try to slow down what is kind of inevitable in a sense. Like we're we're talking about um, making it illegal to run certain code. And, and like, I totally understand there is very important distinction when you talk about free speech um, and like we've made exceptions for uh, like digital uh, content that we as a society agree should not exist that we don't want, right? Like that's not code though. Code is a series of words and numbers. Uh, it is not like pictures of child pornography. Um, and so right. through previous, uh, just because it's digital doesn't mean it's one-to-one -one. it's, it's sort of like, yeah. it, like code you can almost think of as like an alphabet. You're just like, putting these words yeah. together and then together they make things happen, but it's, you're, you're just writing words that that's basically all it amounts to. Yeah. Yeah. You could this, so this exact same thing happened in the early days of the internet when the government went after encryption. Mm -hmm. uh it was like kind just of just all encryption just, just like straight up encryption and like it was actually passwords? illegal like you weren't yeah. allowed to use <laughs> and, yeah like it, it was illegal to use certain math functions to encrypt uh <laughs> like sha, like sha256 and even the like whatever the ones were prior to that were just like straight up illegal at the early <laughs> days of the internet um and That's hysterical fast fast forward to now like it is actually illegal for companies to like not encrypt data that they're <laughs> holding for other people. So you can see how this panned out for the government. Um, but the, the Electronic Frontier Foundation was part of that group that said like, actually, I don't think we want to go down this road and make uh, like start limiting what math people can use. This is very, uh, very dark age mindset. But I think that's kind makes of no sense either. It seems so impractical. That's the part I can even if you could like somehow twist your brain into a pretzel that justifies it, it it just yeah. seems like such a ridiculous impractical. It, I mean it reminds me of the shit in the the 90s when they the, they ruined the lives of those five people that were using Napster or whatever. Just like, "All right, take yeah. those five people, charge them 10,000 bucks a song or whatever, and then they'll file bankruptcy and everyone will know that hey, we can catch you and you might get in trouble. And they punished whatever, single digits out of millions of people that were downloading music illegally. It's, it's yeah. cool to say, hey, you guys shouldn't download music illegally. But if you have no way to stop it or do it, it, you, it gets hinky. You, you got to have. Yeah. Well, the, that's another good example. Be practical. Because the transition from Napster to uTorrent. Um, yeah. Napster was this centralized company that had like centralized servers that could be confiscated. 
Um, and so, yes, they they went after the people that were doing it, but they also went after and successfully ended the company Napster. I think eventually they like filed for Chapter Eleven. And I they, think they tried to turn into pivoted. a streaming service. They basically and, were Spotify back in the day, but it's yeah, nobody tried. was ready for it. Yeah, it, it wasn't time. Yeah. At that point, everyone was obsessed with, ironically, owning music. That's one thing that's regressed. Back then, you're like, no, I want to own the CD so I can put it on my computer, and then I'm going to do stuff with it. I I got to own it. And now I'm like, dude, I'm happy to pay Spotify 15 bucks a month or whatever, so I don't even have to think about it. I just go song, play, I got it. I don't care if I own it. I guess it's an illusion anyway, so, you know, but it's still funny. the 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 transition that occurred where now instead of like Napster existing as a centralized thing, you have this decentralized protocol uTorrent yeah. that is just an internet protocol for sharing any file that you want. Of course, it is still illegal to to like pirate music, and you can still go after people that are doing that. But now uTorrent as a company, they can exist and they can write software because software is protected, open source code especially is is just considered free speech and when you're talking about internet protocols especially things like um tornado cash that's just open source code and free speech so i think we're going to relearn the same lessons that we learned about um trying to make encryption illegal um i think there are uses for privacy tools like in the existing financial system when i venmo you for lunch, you don't see my entire banking history and every transaction that I've ever made. But right now in DeFi, that is the case. So we do need these sort of privacy tools to at least get parity with the amount of privacy that exists in the in the previous financial I system. I toggle so, back and forth. Some days I go, I don't care if people can see how much money I make. And then other days I go, I don't know why everybody in the world should be able to see how much money I have at all times in every situation. Like there's a balance there. You know, it's, I I don't know. Ultimate transparency all the time for all things does feel a little extreme, maybe, maybe maybe almost unnecessary uh, in in some ways. Um, One use case for privacy, though, that I I think is always worth a shout out is journalism. Like we live in an age where real journalism is is kind of dying and struggling. And even like the, the tools that they need are... It's an ongoing battle to maintain access to those tools as protocols are being blocked and all this kind of stuff. And Tornado Cash doesn't really specifically fit into the journalism lens, but I think it is related to um, the, that sphere. I, I don't know. Does, does that kind of make sense? Yeah. No, I mean, another example, like I think even Vitalik said he used Tornado Cash when he was donating to Ukraine at mm. the beginning of the, the Russia-Ukraine conflict. And not so much to hide the money that he had, uh, but to protect the Ukrainian people uh, that were receiving it uh, so that they didn't have like kind of a connection that that Russia wasn't able to see like everything. They just saw that like money was appearing. And and that's that's really. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely legitimate reasons why we need privacy. Yeah. Sometimes you need to be able to, to hold bad actors accountable the good actors yeah. need to have private rails to coordinate and collaborate against the bad actor, right? That's that's kind of what I was yeah. getting at with the journalism thing. You know, there's a lot of countries where, like, we want to be able to use these decentralized tools to to take the power back, you know? And sometimes that's a, a key part of how does the Rebel Alliance communicate? Well, they need an encrypted channel. It's a key part of Star Wars, Kevin, all right? How did the Rebels do it? I'm going to go ahead and guess encryption had something to do with some of their battle tactics. Just saying. Even if the Imperial Army made encryption illegal, I think (laughs) what ends 
What ends up happening is when, when you make privacy illegal, the only people that have privacy are criminals. Yeah, I, I love that. I can just see Vader coming in just like, we must. <laughs> I wish they got more technical in Star Wars. It's too philosophical. That's, uh... Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, I think next episode, we need to talk about the merge. That's coming up in a few weeks. Yeah, um, I was, definitely. I was... I'm definitely looking forward to that episode. That's a big event in the Ethereum and larger crypto space. Yeah. Definitely it's, excited. About it's that. also one that is, it has a lot of moving pieces. It can be a little hard to understand fully. I think at this point, a lot of people understand it's a big deal. Most people seem to ha have a hedge on the financial implications, but there are some myths going around, you know, just real quick the, the merge doesn't lower gas fees. Uh, that, that's a big one that I've seen some people tweeting around. Um, it, it's a change of consensus mechanism. So of course, this is great for getting rid of proof of work. No more stinky burning trees for just arbitrary, the sake of it to prove that you did something. Now we can do do that with staking instead of working. So that's amazing. That's really great. And that's a huge key piece of moving us forward and getting away from the dialogue around we're destroying the environment. But it doesn't really make the blockchain more efficient from like a TPS transactions per second perspective. And I think that's why it's confusing, Kevin, because it's like, it makes it more efficient. It's like, yes, from the environment perspective, we're so much more green. That's very efficient, but not from yeah. a technical blockchain like the block times don't change the blocks aren't getting bigger yeah. like there's no it doesn't handle trans transactions you know faster or something exactly. like that yeah. so we'll dive into all this stuff next time i think this has actually worked out really well where that we're going to be able to do it like right before super fresh talk about all the latest contemporary news um it's going to be incredible so excited to be back uh i'll be traveling after this of course going to axicon so we're not going to be quite on a weekly cadence but i think we're going to be uh, more regular especially towards the end of the year as we're both pretty settled um but man kevin this was awesome and an hour flew by. We always say we're going to do 30, and then there you go. There's an hour. Minutes. So, yeah. Uh, no, it's, it's always time. a good time. I'm excited to be back in the in the studio. New background because I've moved. Uh, yeah. I'm still not done. I you're you're kicking more. my ass. Mine's really bland. I need to get some wall art. I got to print out the clone X. I got, you know, I think maybe I'll wait for the comic to come out. And I've got an mm -hmm. idea for some marketing too. So, uh, maybe I'll, I'll print out the first cover, the first edition, hang it on the wall, get my, uh, my backdrop going. Nice. I, I like to step it up. All right. Well, you know where to find us, folks. Or maybe you don't. If you're watching us for the first time, YouTube, all the, the podcast places. Uh, it's mostly on the Zyori.tv waves, Zyori TV. Uh, we have a Twitter account as well. I think Kevin's still got access to it. What is it? The New yeah, Blocks? You probably find more. it. It's, I think it's new, at New Blocks. At the New Blocks. Yep. Yeah, you can probably type some New Blocks in. You'll find something. It's all good, baby. We'll, uh, we'll make it work. Um, never financial advice, but a lot of fun. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time it is here. Not it is blocks. not at new blocks. That is a Russian flag that I see. Okay. Uh, is it the new it, blocks? I think it's the it is new blocks. The new blocks. The yes. yeah. Get the the in there. All right. We'll catch you next time, gang. Thank you so much. Bye bye, Kevin. Peace.